Amen. In our message tonight, Revelation's eternal sign of love, what we want to mainly do is this. We want to answer the question from God's Word, what exactly is this eternal sign of love? And in order to discover the answer to this question, what we're going to do, friends, is we're going to study the Bible from Genesis all the way to the book of Revelation. And we're going to read and study the most potent verses concerning this subject. So that by the time we're finished, we will know a very biblical definition and understanding of what exactly this sign of love is. Now, we're not going to have enough time to explain why it's so important. We're going to save that for Thursday night's message. So tonight, basically, we're defining what is this sign of love. And then Thursday night, we're going to explain why it is so important in light of Bible prophecy, especially in the last days. So when we're finished with our presentation tonight, you might still have some lingering questions. Because the reality is, is we can't answer every single question in an hour. And so I want you to hold on to those questions and make sure that you come on Thursdays so you can hear part two of tonight's message. Not only that, but the handout tonight will give additional information that we would not have the time to share in the presentation tonight. So I just want to make that announcement very clear. You see, friends, in order for us to understand what truth is on any given subject, we can't just read one or two or three or four verses. We've got to study the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, gather all the cooperating verses, read those verses in context, and then compare Scripture with Scripture with Scripture. And when we do, we find that the Bible interprets itself, and that's how we know we're not adding our own ideas, our assumptions, our own understanding. That's when we know that we have understood the truth directly from God's Word. Amen? That's the way to study the Bible. So that's how we're going to approach tonight's subject. And so, yes, there's going to be a lot of verses, but remember the reason why we want to share lots of verses is so that we can know for sure that this is exactly what the Bible teaches and not simply what Taj is saying. Is that all right with you? All right. So what exactly is this eternal sign of love? Well, I want you to notice in the opening words of the Holy Bible, the Bible tells us something amazing about God. It says in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1, please write it down, notice with me on the screen. It says, in the beginning, God created the what? Heaven and the earth. My friends, the Bible begins by telling us very clearly that God is the one that created all things. In the beginning, he created time, space, and matter. In the beginning, that's time. God created heaven, that's space. He created the earth, that's matter. The Bible is clear, friends, from the very beginning that we came from an all-wise, all-powerful, all-loving, intelligent creator. We were made in his image, fashioned after his likeness, created for his glory and for his pleasure. The Bible is clear, friends that we came from the hands of God. God loves us, friends, and He made us for fellowship with Him. And He did not want us to forget this very important reality. 
So from the very beginning, after God made us, he then gave a special sign of love to remind every single human being of this special relationship he desires to have with us, a special sign of a special relationship. And that's the sign we want to take a look at tonight. When you read the rest of Genesis chapter 1, you read about how God created this world in six literal days. The first week of creation, God said, let there be light, and there was light. He created the light by the power of his spoken word. Now, when God created the light, who did he create it for? Did, did God create the light for one race or for the entire human race? He created it for the entire human race. God created the earth. He, he separated the water from the dry land, and he placed beautiful plants and flowers and fruits and trees on the earth. He created the atmosphere. He filled the waters with the colorful fishes and filled the atmosphere with the beautiful birds and all the creeping things and all the beautiful beasts. God created all these things. And when you read Genesis 1, you'll find God repeating something over and over again after he creates. God says, it is good. It is what, everyone? Everything that God made was good because God is good. Amen? But then on the sixth day of creation, God would create his crowning act. He would create mankind in his own image. And friends, when it came to man, the Bible gives us additional insight to the creation of man. It says that the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the life-giving breath. Now friends, God could have created us by speaking us into existence just like he did the light. But instead of speaking us into existence, he made us with his own hands. Why? Because action speaks louder than words. God wanted us to understand that we're not like the other things that he had made. He wanted us to know that, that we were extra special, that he made us in his very image after his likeness, and he created us for fellowship with him. And then he created the marriage institution and brought man and woman together in holy matrimony. And after God created mankind and the marriage institution and, and, and bringing Adam and Eve together, God changed it a little bit. He didn't say it is good, but rather he said it is very good. And that's the first week of creation. God created the world in six days. He created man on the sixth day of the week. But then after he created man, he would then create a special sign. A special what? To remind man that he's the creator and that he loves us and that we're special to him, we're valuable to him, and he has a special plan and purpose for each one of us. Well, what exactly was this special sign that God gave in the beginning of time? Well, let's read in Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. Genesis chapter 2, write it down, verse 1 to 3, the Bible says this. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished. They were what, everyone? I want you to remember that word finished. It's a very important word for our study tonight. God finished the work. The heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God ended his work which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had made. And God did three things on this seventh day. Notice what he did. And God what? Blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because that in it he had rested from all his work which God created and made. 
So something very interesting God did on the seventh day that he did not do on any of the rest of the six days of the week. Three things. God blessed the seventh day. He pronounced a blessing on the seventh day that's not found on any other day of the week. Now, surely there are blessings every day. Every day you have life is a blessing. Amen? But there's an extra special blessing that's pronounced on the seventh day that's not found on the rest of the six. God blessed it. Then number two, he rested upon it. Not because he was tired. God doesn't get tired. He rested not in exhaustion, but rather in satisfaction at the beautiful things he had made. And then the Bible says that he sanctified the seventh day. And that word sanctified is important. It literally means to set apart for a holy use. What does the word sanctified mean? To set apart for a holy use. Because that seventh day was to be the holy day of the Lord given to mankind as a blessing for them to remember. Now think about it. God created the light not for one race, but the entire human race. What about the fruits? Who did God create the fruits for? One race or the entire human race? The entire human race. What about marriage? Who did God create marriage for? One race or the entire human race? Well, if God did that for the entire human race, who did he, who did he create the seven day of the week for? One race or the entire human race? He created for the entire human race, friends. That's important to know because, you know, many people think that the seventh day of the week was only for the Jewish race. But there is not one Jew that was there in the Garden of Eden when God created that, that special day. It was created for the entire human race. And that's why Jesus said in Mark 2, 27, that the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. It was made for the blessing and the benefit of all mankind. You see, God knew that if man was to work seven days a week, man would work himself to death. Thus, God gave to man from the beginning of time, not a holiday, but rather a holy day every seventh day of the week, an entire 24-hour period for us to disconnect from the cares and the mundane things of this world and to connect with God's, into God's rest, to plug into the special blessing He has in store for us. It's a gift from the Creator. A special sign to remind us that He is our God, He is our Creator, and that He loves us more than anything else. You see, in the beginning of time, God created a special place, not, excuse me, not place, a special time to remember. Why not a place to remember? Well, think about it. If God would have created a specific place to remember, then those who are rich and able to travel would flock to that specific place on a spiritual pilgrimage. But those who are poor wouldn't have that opportunity. And so instead of creating a place to remember, God created a time to remember. Why? Because time is equally distributed to both the rich and the poor. Everyone has 24 hours a day and seven days a week. And friends, in his eternal law that God gave with his own finger on tablets of stone, God commands the world to remember this special sign, this special day. And I want us to read what we talked about a little bit last night. In the book of Exodus chapter 20, we read the Ten Commandments of God. And last time I checked, it wasn't called the Ten Suggestions, but the Ten Commandments. And it's interesting that of the ten, God starts this commandment out very differently from the rest of the nine. The very first word of this commandment is which word? Remember. What does God want us to remember? Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. 
Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Jews. Is that what it says? The Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work. Thou nor thy son nor thy daughter nor thy manservant nor thy maidservant nor thy cattle nor thy stranger that is within thy gates. So God says remember the Sabbath day. It's, it's my day. It's the day of the Lord. And you should not work on this day. And then in the commandment itself, God points us back to creation as the reason why we ought to remember the seven-day Sabbath. It says, for in six days, the Lord did what? He made, what did he make? Heaven and earth, the what? Sea and all that in them is. It says the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that in them is. And then it repeats the three things God did in that first Sabbath. It says, and rested the seventh day, wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. And that's the same thing as sanctified, to be set apart for holiness. You see, I, I found it interesting, friends, that God felt that the seven-day Sabbath was so important that it's in the Ten Commandments, something that he wrote with his own finger. But friends, what I found it most, more interesting and shocking is that the very commandment that begins with the word remember is the one that most people have forgotten. You see, most people have remembered nine commandments, but they have forgotten the one God specifically said, remember. You see, most churches have nine commandments, and no one has an issue with nine of the Ten Commandments. But when it comes to the fourth commandment, for some reason, that's the one people say, oh, it's just for the Jews. It's not that important. Oh, it's optional. But friends, tell me, is one command of God more important than, than, than another? All of them are important, right? God wrote every single one. In fact, notice in James chapter 2 and verse 10, this is the New Testament. The Bible says in James 2 verse 10, for whosoever shall keep the whole law, Stop right there. If you read the context, the law that James is referring to is the Ten Commandments. You read the verses before and after, he's actually quoting from the Ten Commandments. So, he's, so he says, whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in how many points? One point, he is guilty of how much? He is guilty of all. So here the Bible teaches clearly that, that God wants us to keep his whole law and not offend even in one. And I like to say it like this, God does not give 10% discounts when it comes to his law, amen? He wrote every single one. And the Bible says that if you offend in one point, you become guilty of all, guilty of all. If you break one, you're really breaking them all, the Bible says. And so why is it that most people have forgotten the one God specifically said, remember? Well, God saw that this would take place. He saw that Satan would do his best to try to cause people to forget, especially the seven-day Sabbath commandment, because that's the commandment that points to the true creator. That's the commandment that points to who is the real God. And friends, Satan, you realize that Satan wants to be God? He wants to be in charge. He wants to have control. And so he hates the Sabbath because it's a reminder that he's not God and that God is God. So he has worked overtime, friends to try to stop people from remembering this day. And God saw it, so you know what God did? He sent a worldwide message rooted in the book of Revelation to remind the whole world to remember this special sign and the God who gave it. I want you to notice in Revelation chapter 14 and verse 7, 
This, my friends, is the final message of mercy in the last days. We read it the other night. It is, a, it is called the everlasting gospel that's preached to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. And I want you to notice that a part of that final everlasting gospel message are these words. It says in verse 7, saying with a loud voice, fear God and give glory to him. For the hour of his judgment has come. And worship him that did what? That made, but what did he make? Heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of waters. My friends, do you realize that when the angel, when the messenger calls the world to worship him that made the heaven, the earth, the sea, and the fountains of waters, that is a direct reference to the fourth commandment. I told you the other night that the book of Revelation has 404 verses. And at least 274 of those verses are quoting from the Old Testament scriptures, echoes from the Old Testament. And the strongest structural quotation in the book of Revelation from the Old Testament are those words right there. Worship him that made heaven and earth, the sea and the fountains of waters. That's the strongest quotation you'll find in the book of Revelation from the Old Testament. And guess where it's quoting from, friends? It's quoting from the fourth commandment. In other words, a part of the final message of mercy in the last days is not only a call to fear God and give Him glory and worship Him that made, but friends, a part of worshiping the true Creator is remembering the seventh-day Sabbath, the fourth commandment, that is the special day that reminds us that He indeed is the Creator. And because God placed this message in Revelation, it's very important for us to give it careful consideration tonight, especially us who are living in the last days. And by the way, do you know what day it was when John the Revelator received the vision of the Revelation? It was actually on the Sabbath day. In Revelation chapter 1 and verse 10, John said in Revelation 1 verse 10, I was in the Spirit on the whose day? On the Lord's day, and I heard, a, I heard behind me a great voice, and then God gave him the beautiful revelation. Let me tell you, friends, the Sabbath day, the Lord's day, is a day of special revelation. It's a day where God really wants to communicate us in a, in a very intimate way. It says that it was on the Lord's day. Now, what day is the Lord's day? It's the Sabbath day. Jesus said in Matthew 12, verse 8, for the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath day. And so this was, of, this is, I should say, a very special day. And so what we're going to do tonight is we're going to study the history of this special sign that God gave from the beginning that has lasted to the end of time. You see, throughout the Old Testament, the Sabbath has always been a sign between God and his people. We read last night in the book of Genesis how Abraham kept the commandments of God. That includes the Sabbath, friends. He was a Sabbath keeper. He passed this beautiful truth down to his children. But then as you follow the Bible narrative, generations later, the children of Abraham, the, 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 the children of Israel, found themselves in the bitter bondage of Egyptian captivity. And they were forced to work seven days a week nonstop. They were slaves to another man's will. And friends, when you're working seven days a week, you have no rest. And when you're constantly working, it's easy to forget the weekly cycle. But friends, God did not forget his people. 
he sent a deliverer to set his people free from the bondage of non-stop work so that as a free people, they could rest and remember and worship the, their true God, the creator. So, and God, friends, reinstituted the weekly cycle when he set them free. How did he re- reinstitute the weekly cycle? Not only by writing it on tablets of stone when he commanded us to remember the seven-day Sabbath, but even before he spoke and wrote the law on Sinai, God reinstituted the forgotten Sabbath and the weekly cycle by raining manna down from heaven. And I want us to take a look at that tonight. Please take your Bible and turn to Exodus chapter 16. Exodus, what chapter are we going to? Exodus 16, that's the second book of the Bible after Genesis is Exodus. You go to chapter 16, is the story when Israel came out of Egypt. They're in the wilderness and they're heading to the promised land. And as they're wandering through the wilderness, they are hungry. And it seems like there's no food to eat. They begin to complain. And then God says, don't worry, I will provide heavenly bread for your earthly hunger. God said, I'm going to rain down manna from heaven to satisfy the hunger of your body. But in raining down the bread from heaven, God was also going to test their faith and reinstitute the weekly cycle. I want you to notice how it happened. Exodus 16, verse 26. Please write it down and open your Bible. If you're there, would you please say amen. Exodus 16, verse 26. The Bible says this. Six days shall you gather it. Talking about the manna, the bread from heaven. Six days shall you gather it, but on the seventh day, which is the Sabbath, in it there shall be none. And it came to pass that there went out some of the people on the seventh day for to gather, and they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, how long refuse you to keep my commandments and my laws? See, for the Lord hath given you the Sabbath. Therefore he gives you on the sixth day, on the what number day? The sixth day, the bread of how many days? The bread of two days. Abide ye every man in his place, and let no man go out of his place on the seventh day. Verse 30, so the people did what? They rested on the seventh day. Friends, I want you to notice, this is before God spoke or wrote his law on Mount Sinai. And he's talking about his commandments and laws, one of them being the seven-day Sabbath. It's important to note that because many people say the Sabbath was just given on Mount Sinai just for the Jews. But here we find it, it, it's, it's happening before that law was given on tables of stone. Because we learned last night that God's law existed before Mount Sinai. It's not a law just for one race, but for the entire human race. But so we see Israel is hungry. God says, I'm going to rain down manna from heaven. Six days shall you gather it. On the seventh day there shall be none. And so if the people wanted to eat, they had to go out every morning and gather a, a, a daily ration of bread for that day. But you know, there were some people, maybe they were lazy, maybe they wanted to sleep in the next morning. So what they tried to do, the story tells us, is gather extra bread on one day and try to save it for the next day so that the next day they could sleep in and not have to go out and get bread. But whatever extra day they tried to preserve for the following day didn't last. You see, if they wanted to eat, They had to go day by day. And through this, God was trying to teach his people daily dependence upon him. We have to trust God day by day. Remember Jesus? He told us to pray, Lord, give us this day our weekly bread. Is that what he said? Our weekly bread? What kind of bread? Daily bread. And man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, friends. 
We are to eat the bread of life day by day. You know, some people only eat once a week, and they're spoon-fed by the minister when they go to church. But friends, if you want to be a strong, stable, sturdy, solid Christian, you got to eat God's word day by day, daily dependence upon him. Amen? But then, and so God would do this the first five days. Every morning, rain down a daily portion of bread for his people to eat. But on the sixth day, the day before the Sabbath, the Bible actually calls the sixth day the preparation day. The what day? You see, of the seven days of the week, only two of those days actually have names. The rest of them only have numbers. The first five days are simply numbered in the Bible. First, second, third, fourth, fifth. But the sixth day has a name. It's called the preparation day. The seventh day has a name. It's called the Sabbath day. So on the sixth day, the preparation day, God rained down a double portion of bread. Why? So that the people could have an extra portion, not only for the sixth, but also for the seventh. Because on the seventh day, no bread from heaven fell. And whatever extra they gathered on the sixth was preserved to the seventh. Because God did not want his children to worry about their physical necessities, especially on the seventh day Sabbath. So God did this for 40 years to reinstitute the weekly cycle and the forgotten Sabbath. And God performed at least three miracles every week. Number one, he rained down manna from heaven. That was a miracle. Number two, a double portion of manna was rained down on the sixth day. The third miracle is that that extra portion that rained on on the sixth day was preserved to the seventh. So at least three miracles every single week for 51 weeks per the Jewish year, for the entire 40 years they were wandering in the wilderness. Do you know how many miracles that is? That is a total of 6,120 miracles that God performed simply to reinstitute the weekly cycle. My friends, you will not find God performing that amount of miracles for anything else, which shows us today, friends, that this day must be very important to God. I mean, if you perform that amount of miracles just to do that, it's because it is very important, and God is a very particular God. And what God was communicating to his people was this. Trust me. I am your father. I am your provider. Not only did I created, create you, but I will provide for you. I will protect you. And if you rest in me and trust in me, I will provide heavenly bread for your physical hunger. You see, when you keep the Sabbath, you're not only celebrating the fact that God created you, but you're also celebrating the fact that God provides for you. He is the sustainer of our life. Not only the giver, but the sustainer of our lives. And when you celebrate the Sabbath, that's what you're celebrating. It's a sign for us to acknowledge that, God, you are the provider, and I'm resting in you. You're going to provide for all of my physical needs. And that's good news. Amen? You know, sometimes we worry so much. We think we got to do it on our own. And yes, we got to do our part. But friends, we have to trust God. He is the one that provides for all our needs. Notice the Bible says in Ezekiel 20, verse 12, God gives another reason why he gave the Sabbath in this passage. Ezekiel 20, verse 12, it says, Moreover, also I gave them my Sabbaths to be a sign. To be a what, everyone? A what kind of sign, though? A sign between me and them, God says, that they might know that I am the Lord that does what? 
Let's sanctify them. You see, the Sabbath was given not just as a sign that God is the one that created us and that God is the one that provides for us, but it's also a sign for us to remember, for us to know that God is also the one that sanctifies us. He is the true Lord that sanctifies us, that we don't sanctify ourselves. The Lord does that for us. Do you remember what the word sanctified means? Remind me, what does it mean? To set apart for a holy purpose. The same way God sanctified the seventh day of the week, set it apart from the rest of the six days and made the seventh day holy, he wants to do that with us. He wants to set us apart from the world and make us holy. And when we keep the seven-day Sabbath, it is an outward sign for us to acknowledge and understand and remember that God is the one that sets us apart. He is the one that makes us holy, that we, by our own efforts and our own works, could never, ever, ever sanctify ourselves. We can never change our hearts. We can never make ourselves holy. Thus, adding another beautiful dimension to this special day. It's a day to remind us that we're saved by God's grace and God's grace alone. You see, if, if you, when you work, if you work seven days a week, when you keep the Sabbath, I should say, you're saying to God, Lord, I understand that if I work seven days a week, I can never work my way to heaven. Thus, I'm resting on the day that you sanctified, the day that you set apart as an acknowledgement that you are the only one that can save me, that I can never save myself by my works. Salvation is a gift of grace. Thus, I am resting on the day that you set apart, resting in your work, not my own. You see, many people think that those who keep the Sabbath are legalists. Oh, you keep the Sabbath, you're trying to work your way to heaven. But friends, Sabbath keeping means the exact opposite of legalism. It's an acknowledgement. I'm resting in what God is doing. I can't do it myself. And thus, adding a beautiful dimension, the Sabbath is a sign of salvation by grace. Oh, friends, listen. When you celebrate the Sabbath, you're remembering your creator, your provider, and your sanctifier, the one that saves us by his grace and his grace alone. That's what we're celebrating when we're celebrating the Sabbath. Isn't that beautiful? I don't know why people have such a difficulty with the Sabbath. Well, I kind of do know why. It's because they don't understand what it means. But when you understand the meaning behind the day, oh, it's a special day, a special sign between us and God. But, you know, some people think that the Sabbath was just for the Old Testament. It was just for the Jews, they say. And that somehow when Jesus came, he changed the Sabbath or he made it invalid. Well, friends, did Jesus come to do away with the law or the Sabbath or change it at all? Well, of course not. Notice, we read this verse last night. And it's important for me to read it because I, we get these questions all the time. Matthew 5, verse 17, this is the words of Christ. And he says, Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to what? But to fulfill. And that word fulfill does not mean to destroy. We learned last night that the word fulfill means to fill to its fullness, to live it out, to establish it more fully. Christ did not come to destroy it, but he came to establish it more fully by filling it to its fullness. How? By living it out in his life. You remember the letter of the law said, thou shalt not kill. But Jesus said, if you hate or have anger, you've already murdered. The letter of the law says, thou shalt not commit adultery, but Jesus fulfilled that. He filled it to its fullness. He said, if you have lust, you've already done it. He is filling the law to its full measure. He is showing how it's much more than the outward physical action. 
but the condition and the intentions and the motives of the heart. Now, friends, Jesus is not saying you can go ahead and break the letter of the law as long as you have the spirit of the law. That's what some people say. You know, they say, you know, we keep the spirit of the law. Don't worry about the letter. We keep the spirit of the Sabbath. You don't have to worry about the physical day. Well, that's kind of equivalent to saying that I can commit adultery as long as I'm not lusting while I do it. I can go ahead and kill as long as I'm, I, I'm, I don't have anger when I do it. It doesn't make sense, friends. You remember what I said last night? You can keep the letter of the law without keeping the spirit of the law. You cannot kill someone and still be angry and break the spirit of the law. You can keep the letter without keeping the spirit. But you cannot truly keep the spirit without also keeping the letter. Does that make sense? So Jesus came to fill the law to its fullness, including the Sabbath commandment. When you study the Gospels, you will discover that for many people, many Jews, the Sabbath day was the day of burden. And here's the reason. Because the scribes and the Pharisees, they attach many of their own man-made rules and regulations, requirements, and restrictions to God's command. They had burdened the Sabbath commandment down with all of their traditions, all of their rules. And for many people, the Sabbath was just such a burdensome day. When Jesus comes upon the scene, he restores the Sabbath. He fills it to its full measure by showing us what it really means to keep the Sabbath holy. He broke down the legalistic requirements of the Jews, and he shows us what it means to keep that day in holiness. You see, the Pharisees made it a burden, but Christ restored it to the blessing it was always meant to be. But some people get confused about this. They think that because Jesus was against the legalistic ways the Pharisees kept the Sabbath, that he was also against the Sabbath. But he wasn't, friends. He was against the legalistic way that they kept the Sabbath, but he was all for the Sabbath. And so through his life, he, he restored it to its fullness. And that's why it says in Luke 4, 16, and he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day. As his habit was, his custom, he would go to the synagogue, go to the temple there on the Sabbath. And friends, Jesus is our example. And if the Sabbath was good for Jesus, it's good for us too. Can you say amen? And so nowhere in the Bible does it say that Jesus came to get rid of the Sabbath. Yes, he broke down legalism, but he fulfilled, filling to the full measure his holy law of love, the standard of righteousness. But we did learn last night that there is a law that is no longer, we no longer have to keep because Jesus came. But it wasn't the Ten Commandments. It was the ceremonial laws. We read the verse in Colossians 2 verse 14 last night where it says, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances. That was against us, which was contrary to us. Took it out of the way, nailing it to its cross. It was, the, it was these ordinances that were taken out of the way. These were things that were temporal in nature. Verse 17 tells us, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. These shadowy types, these ordinances, the sacrificial ceremonial services, these were temporal. They were shadowy types to teach the Jewish nation about the Messiah when he would come in the flesh. And so when the Messiah comes in the flesh, when the body has arrived, those sacrificial ceremonial shadows are no longer necessary. And friends, a part of these ceremonies that were finished when Jesus would come, 
were also these ceremonial feast days, which the Bible also called Sabbaths. Because on these days, God wanted his people to rest. But these feast Sabbaths were totally different and distinctive from the seventh-day Sabbath. And many people get that confused. They think that because Jesus uh, would put an end to the feast Sabbaths, that he also put an end to the seventh-day Sabbath. But I want to show you now that they are a part of two distinctive laws. The seven-day Sabbath is a part of the Ten Commandments, whereas the feast Sabbaths were a part of the ceremonial ordinances. The seven-day Sabbath happened every week, every seventh day. Whereas the yearly feast Sabbaths, Passover and Pentecost and, and, and trumpets and whatnot, they would fall on different days throughout the year. They were called yearly Sabbaths. The seven-day Sabbath was given before sin existed, way back in the Garden of Eden, before a Jew existed. Whereas the yearly feast Sabbaths were given after sin existed, when the Jewish nation was, was in existence. The seven-day Sabbath was written by God's finger on tablets of stone, whereas the feast Sabbaths were handwritten by Moses in a book. The seven-day Sabbath with the law was placed in the Ark of the Covenant, but the feast Sabbaths with the rest of the book of the law was placed on the side of the Ark of the Covenant. God was making a clear distinction between these two laws. Seven-day Sabbath with the rest of the Ten Commandments will last for eternity, whereas the feast Sabbaths and the rest of the ceremonies and sacrifices are finished in Christ. My friends, the point is this. Because of what Jesus did, we no longer have to slay a lamb. Amen? The true lamb of God has already been sacrificed. And he did not die to save us from the Ten Commandments. He died to save us from sin, which is the breaking of those Ten Commandments. The point is this, friends. Christ did not do away with the moral law but rather it was the ceremonial law. That was a law that was temporal in nature. And so after the cross and the resurrection, the Ten Commandments and the Sabbath still remains. Just like what the writer of Hebrews said in Hebrews 4 verse 9. Write it down. It says, there remains therefore a what? A rest. And the Greek word for the word rest is the word sabbatismo. There remains a Sabbath's rest for the people of God. And friends, if that's clear, would you please say amen? Not only it's clear, it's biblical and it's logical. I mean, think about it. If the cross or the resurrection changed the law or got rid of the law, or excuse me, if the cross and resurrection got rid of the Sabbath, that means it got rid of the rest of the Ten Commandments. Because you can't divorce the fourth commandment from the rest of the ten. Either they all stand together or they all fall together. Because James 2.10 says if you break one, you're guilty of all. And so tell me, friends, is it still wrong to kill? Yes or no? Of course it is wrong to kill. Is it still wrong to steal? Lie? Commit adultery? How about take God's name in vain? Is that still wrong after the cross? Yes. And a part of that same law that everyone agrees is still valid after the cross is the commandment that says, remember the Sabbath day. And friends, I, I wish I, did, I didn't have to emphasize that, but, you know, the enemy has worked so hard to... To, to cloud this message with so much confusion that tonight we must take the time to find out what the Bible actually teaches. And so the cross and the resurrection didn't change the law. It established it more fully. Christ filled it to its full measure. So now the next logical question many people have asked is this. Okay, we ought to keep the Sabbath if we love the Lord. But what day is the Sabbath? Well, the Bible makes it clear that it's the seventh day of the week. Oh, okay, if that's true, then what day is the seventh day of the week? 
And can we really know what day the seventh day of the week is? The answer is yes, friends. We can know exactly. We don't have to guess which day the seventh day of the week is. Think about it. If we did not know what the seventh day of the week was, then we would not be able to keep the Sabbath. And if we would not be able to keep the Sabbath, then God would be commanding us to do something that's impossible. And if God commanded us to do something that's impossible, that wouldn't be fair. But God is always fair, and he's always just. So how do we know what day the seventh day of the week is? Well, the Bible makes it clear. Dictionaries, calendars, even astronomy, and even language. But let's go to our primary source. Let's go to the Bible. Please take your Bible and turn to Luke chapter 23. As we take a look at the sequence of events surrounding the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord. Luke chapter 23, that's the third book of the New Testament. And notice what it says here. We want to find out what day is the seventh day of the week. Luke 23, let's begin with verse 53. And when you get there, would you please say amen. Luke 23 and verse 53. Please write it down, open your Bible, and notice with me. Luke 23, 53, it says this. And he took it down. And wrapped it in linen and laid it in a sepulcher that was hewn in stone, where never man before was laid. And that day was the what? Preparation. And the Sabbath drew on. The woman also which came with him from Galilee followed after, and beheld the sepulcher and how his body was laid. And they returned and prepared spices and ointments and rested the Sabbath day according to the commandment. So this is talking about the day that Jesus died on the cross. And the Bible says clearly that that day was the preparation day. The day before the Sabbath. They laid his body in the tomb. And then the women went back home to keep the seventh day Sabbath according to the commandment. So Jesus dies on what the Bible calls the preparation day. But what day? And we know that the preparation day is the sixth day of the week. In the Greek, it's the word periskavi. Can you say that? That's the Greek word for the sixth day of the week, periskavi, the, the preparation day, periskavi. So Christ dies on the preparation day. Remember the day that he died, he said, it is what? Finished. And he dies. After it is finished, he dies, then his body is laid in the tomb during the Sabbath hours. My friends, when was the last time it was finished on the sixth day and then Christ rests on the seventh day? Creation. You remember on the sixth day of the week, God created mankind. After he created mankind, the work was finished. And then the Lord rests on the seven-day Sabbath with Adam and Eve. And friends, what we see God doing when he created the world, we see him repeating when he redeems the world. He creates man on the sixth day of the week, and then he dies for man on the sixth day of the week. He said it is finished, and he rests in the tomb on the Sabbath, thus adding another beautiful dimension to the Sabbath, friends. The Sabbath also is a reminder of what Jesus did for us on the cross. It is a memorial, not only of creation, but also redemption. Amen? It's the fact that he paid it all. He said it is finished. And thus, he provided salvation. He, he, he made salvation 
available to whosoever will. Oh, I'm so thankful for Jesus. How about you? Amen? You see, friends, when you celebrate the Sabbath, you're not only celebrating your kind creator and your faithful provider and your saving sanctifier, you're also celebrating your merciful redeemer. The one that died on the preparation day, it is finished, and rest in the tomb on the Sabbath day. Friends, that's what we're doing when we're celebrating the Sabbath. It is a beautiful day that points us over and over and over again to Jesus. That's why the day is so important. If it wasn't for Jesus, it's it's just another day, friends. But because it points us over and over to Jesus, it's a day that God calls us to remember. Amen? Now, when did Jesus resurrect? Well, let's read it. Luke 24, verse 1. It says, now upon the what number day? The first day of the week. Very early in the morning, they came into the sepulcher, bringing the spices which they had prepared and certain others with them. And they found the stone rolled away from the sepulcher. And they entered in and found not the body of the Lord Jesus. Why? Because he had risen. But what number day of the week did the Bible say that Jesus rose from the dead? The first day of the week. And so with these sequence of events, we can deduce exactly what day the seven-day Sabbath is. Jesus dies on the sixth day of the week. That's the preparation day. He, his body rests in the tomb on the seven-day Sabbath, and then he resurrects from the tomb on the first day of the week. And so the day between the preparation day and the day of resurrection is the seven-day Sabbath. Well, what day is the preparation day? Well, remember, it's the Greek word periskavib. And guess what, friends? That Greek word periskavi is the same word the Greeks used to denote what we call in English Friday. You go to Greece or you talk to a Greek person, they call Friday periskavi. It's the same word the Bible uses. Friends, the sixth day of the week is Friday. And many Christians agree with that because they say that the day that Jesus died, they call it Good Friday. And so the next day is the Sabbath, then the first day would be Easter Sunday. So the day between Friday and Sunday is the seventh day of the week. It's what we call Saturday, the seventh day of the week. In fact, the dictionaries make it clear too. If you look it up in the dictionary, the word Saturday means the seventh day of the week. The word Sunday is the first day of the week. Most calendars make that plain, astronomy as well makes it plain that the weekly cycle has never been changed from the Christian era. But even languages. Did you know, friends, that in over a hundred languages around the world, the word for the seventh day of the week is not how we say it, Saturday, but they actually use the word Sabbath. Here's a few examples. In the Hebrew, it's the word Shabbat. Can you see that? In Greek, it's Sabbatan. Portuguese and Spanish, it's Sabado. Friends, Sabado doesn't mean Saturday. It means Sabbath. But it's the same thing as Saturday. In Russian, Subata. Polish, Sobota. Arabic, Sabbat. French, Samedi. In Armenian, Shapat. In over a hundred languages around the world, friends. That's the word for the seventh day of the week. It is abundantly clear that Saturday is the biblical Sabbath. And now the next question that many, many people have asked is this. Well, if that's the case, why do most people think Sunday is the Sabbath? That's a great question. That's the question I had when I first learned this. Because I thought that Sunday was the Sabbath, but it's clear that Sunday is the first day of the week. So then why do most people think that Sunday is the Sabbath when it's the first day of the week? Well, the reason why is because that's the day that Jesus resurrected from the grave. 
He resurrected on the first day of the week. Most Christians call it Easter Sunday. And many people assume, what word was that? Assume that because Jesus resurrected on the first day of the week, that that somehow changed the Sabbath from Saturday to Sunday. That somehow the resurrection changed what God wrote with his finger on tablets of stone. And friends, we can't go based upon a human assumption. We got to challenge and test every single assumption with the word of God because we don't want to go by an opinion, but by God's word. Amen? And so the question is this, did the resurrection change the Sabbath? And friends, there is no biblical evidence that a change like that ever took place. In fact, the Bible teaches the exact opposite. I want to show it to you really quickly. In Matthew chapter 24, Jesus was on the Mount of Olives talking about the coming destruction of the city of Jerusalem. He said that the Romans would come and they would be surrounded and Jerusalem was going to be destroyed. But then he said, I'm going to give you a way of escape. When you see what's about to take place, Jesus said, flee to the mountains for your life. But then he added an important piece of counsel. He said, in Matthew 24 and verse 20. But pray that your flight be not in the winter, neither on the what day? The Sabbath day. Now, friends, why would Jesus ask the disciples to pray that they wouldn't have to flee into the wilderness in the winter or on the Sabbath day? Well, it's obvious. He wouldn't want them to have to flee into the wilderness in the winter because it would be hard to survive because of the cold weather in the wilderness during the winter time. But he also said, pray that you don't have to flee on the Sabbath. Why? Because the commotion and stress of being attacked on the Sabbath would have caused them to break the Sabbath. And Jesus didn't want them to break the Sabbath. Not even to save their lives. Much less to save their jobs. That's why he told them to pray. You don't have to flee on the Sabbath. Because he wanted them to keep it. Now tell me, did Jesus know exactly when Jerusalem was going to be destroyed? Yes or no? Of course, and when was Jerusalem actually destroyed? About 39 years after the resurrection, in the year A.D. 70. That's when Jerusalem was destroyed. It happened 39 years after the resurrection. Jesus knew that it would take place after the resurrection. And he still asked his people to pray that they wouldn't have to flee on the Sabbath. Here's the point, friends. If the resurrection changed the Sabbath to the first day of the week, Jesus, looking at the destruction of Jerusalem happening after the resurrection, would have told the disciples, pray that you wouldn't have to flee on the first day of the week. But he didn't do that. Why? Because the resurrection did not change a thing when it came to the seventh-day Sabbath. Christ intended his people to continue to keep his Sabbath even 40 years after the resurrection. And if that's clear, would you please say amen? It's clear, friends. And by the way, God answered the prayer of his people. They ended up fleeing in the warmer fall month of October and on, in the middle of the week on a Wednesday. God took care of his people. But friends, did you know that in the New Testament, we find God's early church keeping the seven-day Sabbath after the resurrection, and we find at least 80 examples of the New, in the New Testament of, of them keeping the seven-day Sabbath. And tonight, I want to show you all 80 examples. Are you ready? Don't worry, we won't be here all night. It's going to go by actually quite, quite fast. But I want you to notice. Let's take a look at the 80 examples. Here's one of them. Acts 13, verse 14. And they came to Antioch in Pisidia and went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and sat down. Here's the early church. After the resurrection, 
continuing to keep the seven-day Sabbath. Now, on this particular Sabbath, the Jews asked Paul to preach to them. And Paul gave the sermon that Sabbath. Now, if the Sabbath was changed to the first day of the week because of the resurrection, Paul would have told them. Paul would have known about it because he was converted three and a half years after the resurrection. But nowhere in Paul's writings does he say that a change was made because there was no change that was made. Now, after the sermon was finished, notice what happened next. Verse 42. And when the Jews were gone out of the synagogue, the Gentiles, the who everyone? The Gentiles besought that these words might be preached to them when? The next Sabbath. So these Gentile believers say, Paul, can you give us the sermon next Sabbath? Think about it, friends. If the Sabbath was just for the Jews, and the first day of the week, Sunday, was just for the Gentiles, then Paul would have told the, these Gentile believers, hey, you don't have to wait till next Sabbath. Just come tomorrow. We can have Sunday school and Sunday worship. But he didn't say that because there was no change that was made upon the resurrection. And then the next verse says, Paul and Barnabas, who's speaking to them, persuaded them to continue in the what? Grace of God. And the next Sabbath day came almost the whole city together to hear the word of God. You see, friends, these were Gentile Christians living after the resurrection. They continued to keep the Sabbath. And by the way, these were grace-filled Christians. Paul persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. And you cannot continue in something that you're not already in to begin with. So these were Gentile Christians. They were not under the law. They were under grace, and they continue to keep the Sabbath. You know why? Because the Sabbath is a grace-filled day. Can you say amen? And so we see these clear examples that took place after the resurrection. Here's another one. Acts 16, 13, it says, And on the Sabbath we went out of the city to the riverside where prayer was customarily made. You know, sometimes the early church didn't have a literal building to worship God on the Sabbath, so they would worship God in nature. Because remember, it's not the place that's holy, it is the time that's holy. And sometimes they'll go out in nature to worship the God of all creation. Here's another example, Acts 18 verse 4, write it down. Talking about Paul, it says, and he reasoned in the synagogue, how often? Every Sabbath and persuaded the Jews and the Greeks. Bible says that Paul continued to preach, continued to teach and, and share every Sabbath, Jews and Gentiles, no matter who they were. Now, this is when Paul was in Corinth. And if you read Acts 18, verse 11, it tells us that Paul was in Corinth for a year and a half. And if he's in the synagogue every Sabbath for a year and a half, how many Sabbaths goes by in, that, in a year and a half? 78 Sabbaths. There you have almost your 80 examples in the New Testament. Over and over and over Again, amen? You guys, some of you thought we'd be here all night, but wasn't that quick? Bible was clear, friends. The Sabbath was a special sign for Jew and Gentile alike. A sign of a special relationship. But some people ask this important question that we want to cover right now. What about Acts 20? Some people say, didn't the disciples worship on the first day of the week? In Acts chapter 20, don't we see an example in Acts chapter 20 of the early church after the resurrection uh, uh, having a meeting on the first day of the week? And yes, Acts chapter 20, we find the early church meeting on the first day of the week. But in that passage, it says nothing about that day being the Sabbath. You see, if you hold a meeting on Tuesday, that does not change what God wrote with his own finger. What we do doesn't change God's law. 
And by the way, friends, the Sabbath is much more than just a day that you choose to worship because you ought to worship God every single day. Can you say amen? But that doesn't, that, that, that doesn't make every single day the Sabbath day. In fact, you can worship God while you work. You can be painting the house and mowing the lawn and, 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 and sitting behind a desk praising God and singing in your heart and communing with God in prayer. You can worship while you work. You see, friends, while we can worship and we ought to worship every day, we can't keep every day holy because not every day is holy to begin with. Does that make sense? So this is more than just worship. Keeping the Sabbath holy, uh, it, it requires us to not work. So you can worship while you work, but you can't keep the Sabbath holy and work at the same time. It just doesn't work that way. And so no one can make a day. Neither can we make a day holy. Only a holy God can make a holy day. That's why God did not say make the Sabbath holy. He said keep the Sabbath holy because it was holy before we had anything to do with it. God is the one that made it in that way. So we can't just make up our own day because we can't make anything holy. Does that make sense? Now, here's another interesting fact. What is the only day of the week that can never be the Sabbath? Let me say it like this. If God would have created the world in five days, what day would be the Sabbath? The sixth day, right? If God would have created the world in three days, what number day would be the Sabbath? The fourth day. If God would have created the world in one day, what day would be the Sabbath? The second day. Whatever day is the next day after God finished the work. So friends, what number day of the week can absolutely never, ever, ever, ever be the Sabbath? The first day of the week. The very day that most people think the Sabbath is. And so I want us to keep it in mind as we look at Acts 20, just because someone is worshiping on the first day of the week or the fifth day of the week, it doesn't change the law. You gotta read the context to see, is this talking about the Sabbath? The word Sabbath is even found there. But a more careful, critical look at what's happening in Acts 20 makes it plain what actually took place. Let's take a look at it, shall we? Acts 20, verse 7 through 9, write it down. It says, upon the first day of the week. What do we call the first day of the week? What is the first day of the week? We know that's Sunday. Upon the first day of the week, that is when the disciples came together to break bread. By the way, Acts 2 says they broke bread every single day of the week. It says Paul preached to them. Ready to depart when? On the morrow. And continued his speech until midnight. And there were many lights in the upper chamber where they were gathered together. And there sat in a window a certain young man named Eutychus being fallen into a deep sleep as Paul was long preaching. He sunk down with sleep and fell down from the third loft and was taken up dead. And some of you are saying, wow, that's a powerful, that's a powerful point, preacher. Don't preach long sermons. But that's not the lesson I get from this. The lesson I get from this passage is, don't fall asleep in church or you might end up dead. <laughs> and so I try not to preach too long and you don't fall asleep on me. We'll meet each other halfway. Sound good? Well, what's taking place here, friends? This verse doesn't say anything about the first day being holy, sacred, or being the Sabbath. Nothing, friends. So we can't read into the Bible something that's not there. That would be adding to the Scripture, which is dangerous. But nonetheless, we see it's the first day of the week. We know that's Sunday. Every, everyone agrees that's the first day of the week is Sunday. They're having what looks like a gathering, a meeting. 
they're breaking bread, they're eating. Paul is preaching. It looks like a spiritual service. And it was a spiritual service. But what part of the first day of the week was, was it? Was it daytime or nighttime? It was, the, it was the dark part of the first day of the week. It was night, nighttime. It says Paul continued his speech till midnight. There were many lights in the upper chamber. The young man fell asleep. He was tired because it was a nighttime meeting. So it was the dark part of the first day of the week. That's what's happening in Acts 20, dark part of the first day of the week. Question, when is that? When is the dark part of the first day of the week? When do the days begin and end according to the Bible? Not midnight to midnight like we reckon it today. Not morning to morning, but from sunset to sunset. How do we know? Write it down. Leviticus chapter 17, or excuse me, Leviticus 23 verse 32. It says, from even to even shall you celebrate the Sabbath. From when? Not midnight to midnight or morning to morning, but from even to even. The word even simply means evening. Well, when is that? Write it down. Mark 1.32, it says, at even when the sun did set. So when do the days begin and end? Sun, sunset to the following sunset. And so when you read Acts 20, we know it's the dark part of the first day of the week. You see, what happened here was it's very clear. They were worshiping God all Sabbath long on the seventh day. Then when the sun set, they entered into the dark part of the first day of the week. My friends, what do we call the dark part of the first day of the week? What would we call the dark part of the first day of the week? We would call it Saturday night. Saturday night. So it's clear they were having worship all day. They, they were worshiping God on the Sabbath. But when Saturday evening the sun set, that was the beginning of the dark part of the first day of the week. Paul had more to say, so he continued his speech till midnight. Why? Because the next morning, Sunday morning, he traveled a long journey to somewhere else. Friends, if that first day of the week was holy, Paul would have stayed there and had Sunday school and Sunday worship that morning, but he didn't. He traveled a long way. Why? Because that day was a common day for common activities. Nothing sacred or special about it. And so, if the dark part of the first day of the week begins on what we call Saturday evening when the sun sets, then when does the Sabbath begin? The sunset before that, on what we call Friday evening. From Friday evening to Saturday evening, that is the holy, sacred hours of God's seven-day Sabbath. It's much more than a day, day that you choose to go to church, much more than a day that you worship. But it's a 24-hour period of sacred holy time where we unplug from the cares of this life when we cease from our secular work and we just plug in and spend that quality time with God our family and with the family of God it is a wonderful day Bible says this is the day that the Lord has made let us be glad and rejoice in it can you say amen and so it's clear when you read the context you can understand what the Bible is saying well did you know friends not only did the early church keep the seven-day Sabbath after the resurrection but God's end-time people will continue to do it as well. And they're described in Revelation 14, verse 12. It says, and by the way, this is way after the resurrection, friends. This is talking about God's end-time people in the last days. It says, here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith 
of Jesus. Notice, friends, God's end-time saints, they not only have faith, they not only have works, but they have a faith that works because they love Jesus. I want to be a part of that group. How about you? They not only keep nine, but all ten because they love the Lord Jesus. They, they keep the one that also says remember. Remember the one that made us, the one that provides for us, the one that sanctifies us, the one that died for us. Not only that, but the one that's coming back the second time to rescue us from this world. Did you know, friends, that we're also going to continue to keep the Sabbath in heaven throughout the ceaseless ages of eternity? Read it. Notice in Isaiah chapter 66, verse 22 and 23, it says, For as the new heavens and the new earth which I will make from one Sabbath to another shall all flesh come to worship before me, says the Lord, every single Sabbath in heaven throughout the ceaseless ages we will meet at the throne of God. This, my friends, is Revelation's eternal sign of love given to humanity at the beginning of time, before a Jew existed. Before sin existed, the Sabbath was there. It's an Edenic institution. Let me tell you, friends, the Sabbath is a foretaste of heaven. It's resting in the presence of the Lord, receiving a very special, intimate blessing. We're going to continue to keep the Sabbath throughout the ceaseless ages of eternity. And that, my friends, is Revelation's day of hope. If that's clear, would you please say amen? But after going through all these verses from Genesis to Revelation, many people find it difficult. And I have deep sympathy with, with that because I felt the same way when I first heard this. Many people ask the question, what difference does a day make? I mean, really, is God really that particular? Can't I just choose one out of seven? Won't God understand if I have to work on Saturday? Can't I just do what everyone else does? Well, friends, let me answer that question with a question. Is it ever safe to follow our own opinions and our own ideas? The Bible says in Proverbs 14, 12, that there is a way which seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. My friends, we can't do what seems right to us because our hearts are, 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 are twisted. We, we can deceive ourselves. You know, human nature is such that we tend to rationalize and compromise and make excuses. That's why it's never safe, friends, to go by what a man says or what a church teaches or what pastor or theologian says. We got to go by the word, amen? And my friends, the Sabbath is also a sign that we believe in the authority of the word. Not an authority of a man that says, oh, you can choose one out of seven. Oh, just keep Sunday. That's what everyone else does. My friends, God's word is the standard for right and wrong. Not what I think or what I say. It doesn't matter what I think, friends. All that matters is what does the Bible have to say. And unfortunately, many people treat the Bible like a buffet. What do you do at a buffet? You pick and choose. Isn't that right? You take this dish. You skip that one. You take this you pick and choose. Well, friends, the Bible is not a buffet. It's a full-course meal. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Especially that one that says, remember, that points us so clearly to Jesus, friends. You see, outwardly, it doesn't look like there's any difference in the days of the week. Because it rains on Saturday, just like it rains on Sunday and Monday and every other day of the week. Outwardly, it doesn't seem like there's any difference. You may not feel some kind of difference with the days, but is there a difference? There is one. But what makes the difference? It's not some outward sign or outward feeling, but it's the fact that God's word says it. God's word is what sanctified that day. And so when you keep the Sabbath, it's because we're resting in the authority of God's holy word. But you know, some people say, well, it doesn't matter when you worship. 
as long as you worship God in spirit and in truth. And yes, Jesus said that the true worshipers will worship in spirit and in truth. But what does that mean, friends? What's truth? Here's the biblical definition. Psalms 119 and verse 151, write it down, it says, Thou art near, O Lord, and all thy commandments are truth. And so if we're going to be a true worshiper, worshiping God in spirit and in truth, we got to worship God according to all his commandments. I want to be a true worshiper. How about you? Amen? Now, friends, as we get ready to bring out a few last points, after going through all these scriptures, many people still struggle with this, and I understand. I have deep sympathy. And so let me just challenge you this evening. Don't take my word for it. You don't have to believe a word you're hearing tonight just because someone is saying it. Study for yourself, friends. You see, what I love about truth is that truth defends itself. Truth can stand up against the scrutiny of careful, critical examination. If something is not true, it will fold when critically tested. And that's what Sunday does. It folds. You, you ask, the, there's not even one verse. In fact, let me just make this offer to you. We've been doing this seminar for several years. We've done 70 of them all over the world. And every single seminar we've done, we've made this offer. And I want to make it to you tonight. I have a reward for you because I need some help. If you can help me find one verse in the Bible that says anything about Sunday being the Sabbath or that God changed the Sabbath from the seventh day to the first day, anything that justifies the keeping of Sunday the first day of the week, if you can find just one verse, how many? Just one. Then I have a reward for you. You want to know what it is? You know, we're living in tough economic times. How many of you could use $10,000? Could you use that? Could you use that? Well, if you can't use it, you know someone that can use it. So if you can help me find just one verse from Genesis to Revelation. Don't bring me a book. Don't bring me a CD. Don't bring me, just bring the Bible. Just one verse that justifies the keeping of the first day of the week then I'm going to give you $10,000. I need some help finding this verse. I've been trying to look and look. I haven't found it, friends. And let me just say this. Please don't misunderstand this. I'm not a rich person. I don't have $10,000 to be given away everywhere I go. You know, no one has ever collected it. You know why? Because the verse doesn't exist. Now, you would think that if something is, is practiced so much in Christianity today, like Sunday worship is, then the, the, we ought to find at least one verse. But it's shocking to realize that not even one exists. And if you don't believe me, check for yourself. Ask whatever minister you want, but make sure you say, Pastor, I don't want your opinion. Give me the Bible. And make sure you read the verses in context, friends. And so if you can help me find that one verse, you will have $10,000. That's a challenge for you. And friends, listen, don't take that the wrong way. The, the main point I'm trying to make is check for yourself. Never take a man's word for it. Go to God's word and the Holy Spirit will lead us into all truth. Amen? And so if Saturday is the true biblical Sabbath, as we've clearly seen tonight, then why do most people keep Sunday? Well, the reason is, is this, friends. It's not because Jesus resurrected on Sunday. There's not one verse in the Bible that's, that says that the resurrection changed it. So then why do most people keep Sunday? Here's the reason. It's because the Antichrist kingdom tried to change God's Sabbath to the first day of the week. 
One of the characteristics of the Antichrist in Daniel 7.25 is that they would think to change times and laws. It was the Antichrist kingdom that introduced a counterfeit Sabbath, thus causing almost the whole world to forget the commandment God specifically said remember. It's a shocking message. And how many of you want to know who it was? Who is this Antichrist that tried to change God's Sabbath to the first day of the week? How many of you want to know who, who, who did this? Do you want to know? Some of you look like you don't want to know. If you want to know, let me hear you say amen. Are you sure you want to know? Well, then you're going to have to come back on Thursday. Because I don't want to give you my opinion, friends. It doesn't matter what I think or say. All that matters is what does the Bible have to say. I appeal to you, trust the Word of God. And this coming Thursday, we'll find part two of tonight's message. Tonight, we have defined what exactly is the eternal sign of love. We don't have a lot of time to explain why. We're going to do that on Thursday. Why is it so important in light of Bible prophecy? And so don't you miss it, friends. I told you, you might have some lingering questions at the end of the presentation. There's only so much we can say in an hour. So please, hear part two. Don't let the enemy keep you from this place. You know, sometimes people hear this and they say, oh, I, I don't want to know about that. My friends, don't let the enemy cause you to think that way come back. You have a right to hear this message. God wants you to hear this message. He brought you here to hear the whole message. And as we get ready to close tonight, you know, though the Sabbath has largely been forgotten, many people all over the world are studying the Bible. They're challenging every human assumption and every human and pastoral interpretation. And they're rediscovering this long forgotten truth. And as individuals all over the world are rediscovering the beauty of this special day, this special sign, love for their Jesus is compelling them to go to their employers and tell their employers, I'm sorry, I can no longer work from Friday evening to Saturday evening. That's not my time. It's not your time. It's the Lord's time. And I must put him first because he's my creator. He's my provider. And he's my savior. So he is more important than anyone else and more important than any job. Love for Jesus is compelling business owners to close their business from Friday evening to Saturday evening, trusting God to provide for all their physical necessities. It's more than just a day to go to church, more than just a day to worship God. It's not a day for us to do our errands, you know, wash the car and, and catch the movie. It's a day for us to rest and remember the one that made us and the one that saves us by his grace. It's a special day of a special relationship, a relationship based on love. Friends, how many of you love Jesus? If you love Jesus, let me hear you say amen. amen. Well, the Lord that you claim to love says to us tonight, if you love me, keep my commandments. Oh, my friend, maybe you've kept Sunday, the first day of the week, all your life. And maybe you were never aware until now that Sunday is not the biblical Sabbath. And yet you love God and you walked with God in sincerity all your life, my friends. Tonight, he's just inviting you to take the next step in the journey. This is not saying that those who keep Sunday are lost, evil, no, friends, because most people who keep Sunday have never heard what you've heard tonight. Most people who are keeping the first day of the week, they're doing it because that's all they know. And they're sincere in doing it. And what is so beautiful about God is that God sees our hearts. He sees our sincerity. And if we don't know that what we're doing is not biblical, God works with that. Amen? 
God never holds us accountable to follow something that we don't know. We're only held accountable to the light that he has given to us. So many people who keep Sunday, they're going to be in heaven. Many people who die keeping Sunday all their lives are going to be saved if that's all they knew and if they love God and were sincere in it. But friends, God is wanting to lead us and guide us to a deeper understanding of truth. And when we are led into that truth, that's when God calls us to walk in that truth to apply it to our lives. He only holds us accountable to the light that we have. And some of you might be tempted to think tonight, man, you know, I just heard this. I'm accountable. Man, I shouldn't have come tonight. But no, friends, don't think like that. Why? Because it's not a burden. It's a blessing. It is a privilege to know the truth. For Jesus promised that when we know the truth, the truth will make us free, free from confusion. And friends, that's what this truth does tonight. And so I remember when I first heard this, I was surprised. I went to church on Sunday. I didn't know. And it sounded strange at first. It may sound strange to you tonight, but listen, truth sounds strange in a world of universal deceit. And remember this, what's popular is not always right. And what is right is not always popular. When I learned this truth, how I can have a deeper relationship with Jesus, honor him more biblically, it required some adjusting in my schedule. But I made the decision. To honor God and put him first. And I've never regretted it. It is a blessing that you don't want to miss out on. And so tonight I'm not going to ask you to accept the Sabbath. Because maybe you need to study it. Maybe you need some time to digest the information. Maybe you need to go and read these verses for yourself. Friends, go ahead and take the time you need to study it out. Truth can stand for itself. But as God makes the truth clear, ask him also for the courage to walk in it. We don't want to just be hearers of the word. We want to be followers of the word as well. Amen. So tonight, I'm not going to ask you to start keeping the Sabbath. Some of you are already doing it. Others, you've heard this for the first time. Go ahead and study. Go ahead and pray. But remember this. When you pray, the Holy Spirit will not lead you contrary to the word. You know, sometimes people say, I prayed and the Spirit just didn't impress me. That it was important. You can know that that wasn't the Spirit of God. Because the Holy Spirit will never contradict the word of God. Because the Spirit of God is what inspired the Word of God. And God does not contradict Himself. Don't go by some subjective feeling or impression. Go by the Word. The Spirit always leads us back to the Word of truth. And so tonight, how many of you want to accept Jesus, who is the Lord of the Sabbath? You want Him to be the Lord of your life. Is that your desire? How many of you want the rest that only Jesus can offer? If that's your desire, would you bow your heads and close your eyes? And let us close with a word of prayer. Father in heaven, Lord, thank you so much for your great love and your kindness towards us. Lord, we acknowledge you as our creator. You're the one that made us with your own hands. You fashioned us after your likeness. You made us for fellowship with you. Thank you, Lord, for giving us the Sabbath as a, as a blessing to remind us of our value, to remind us of who you are, to remind us that you are our provider and that we don't have to worry about our physical necessities. You're going to take care of us. You promise that when we honor you, you honor us. And thank you, Lord, for the Sabbath that reminds us that you're the sanctifier, the one that makes us holy. We cannot make ourselves holy. We rest in your work in our lives. We thank you, Lord, for this day that reminds us of your sacrifice on the sixth day of the week. 
and how you rested on the Sabbath and rose on the first. Thank you so much, Lord, for what you've done for us on the cross. And Lord, thank you for the truth we've learned. As we go home tonight, help us to digest it. Help us to read the handout that has additional information. Bring us back on Thursday, Lord. As we hear part two of tonight's message, who changed the Sabbath? Antichrist's greatest deception. Lord, give us an open mind and an open heart. We just want to know what truth is, Lord. So lead us and guide us by your spirit. And we thank you for hearing this prayer. In Jesus' name we pray. Let everyone say, amen. 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 God bless you, friends. Thank you so much for being here. How many of you were blessed? Were you blessed?